Welcome to the OKC First podcast. Together, we're learning to do three things. Friendship with God. Friendship with one another. And open friendship for the sake of the world. For more information about OKC First, please visit OKCFirst.com. Today's scripture comes from Revelation chapter 7, verses 9 through 12. After this, I looked, and there was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, from all tribes and people and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, robed in white, with palm branches in their hands. They cried out in a loud voice, saying, Salvation belongs to our God, who is seated on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels stood around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, singing amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might to our God forever and ever. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. You may be seated. As is, thank you, as is our custom around here, we want to begin with a word of prayer, actually, acknowledging that um, Mother's Day, there, there are people who don't come to church because it's Mother's Day. I hear from them. It's just too painful. And so I want to hear at the beginning, while there are people in the room who are absolutely, like I am, absolutely grateful and will be eternally grateful for the mom that raised me and for the moms that I have watched raise kids in our home. Um, I also want us to be sensitive to those folks for whom this is a terrible day. Maybe, maybe you lost your mom not too long ago and that's why this would hurt so badly. Maybe you did not have a great experience growing up. And so some of the things I'm going to say today about how it is that moms can put some skin and flesh on the very presence of God in our lives. Maybe that doesn't work for you. Or maybe your heartache to be a mom has not yet been fulfilled. It might be any one of those things and maybe something else. I just want you to know that we have not forgotten that you are here. And so as some in the room are praying that prayer of thanksgiving, We're also praying for you, for you, the person for whom this is a difficult day. So would you join me in a few moments of silence and then a prayer for those folks. Father, no doubt in this room, there is a wide variety. There are people in the room who celebrate today and every day for the absolute gift and blessing of a good and godly mother. And there are other people in the room for whom the very word is painful. There are people in the room for whom the very word conjures up feelings and emotions, and the result, rather than celebration, is suffering. 
Come alongside those folks today as only you can. And employ us to do the same. Help us to know how to come alongside the folks. Both the folks who are celebrating, but also alongside the folks who are suffering. And we have prayed all of this in your son's name. Amen. Amen. I mentioned my mom. My mom was there to drive me home. Uh, when I was a college student, I had all of my wisdom teeth cut out. I think it was like 40 wisdom teeth that I had cut out. And so my mom drove me home, and it was uh, a general anesthetic, which I believe means I was completely out. I was completely out. And they told mom, or so I'm told that she was told, that when he wakes up, he could be goofy. So just kind of go with it. Like whatever, like he may have. Str- and sure enough, I, I came out of it and I said, you know what, mom? I'm feeling a, a mint chocolate chip shake. Now, I have never, up to that point and since that time, have never had a mint chocolate chip shake. But the thing is, I needed one right then, and so she was great, and we went and got drive through and got a chocolate chip shake from Brahms, and we were headed home. Now, my face was somewhat numb, so I didn't know how much I was drooling. Amen? <laughs> In fact, I really couldn't have had any uh, knowledge of how much I was drooling, Right? Except that we stopped at a red light, and I looked at the, the people to my right, and it was, a, it was a car full of young-ish people, let's say college students, certainly the people you don't want to look stupid in front of, and somehow they were pointing and laughing at me. And like, I was horrified, like, what in the world? What I didn't know is just how much drool <laughs> was stringing between my face and my cup. But I look over at my mom seeking some sort of explanation, and she had that perfect mom look that was somewhere between laughing at you and crying for you, right? Because that's what moms can do. Moms just have that capacity. In, in fact, I'll say this several times today. I think moms have the capacity to put some skin and flesh on how it is that God comes alongside us when we suffer well. My mom certainly had that capacity. I found this little uh, poem, I guess. No, it's a it's, it's little piece of art in the New Yorker this week. I just want to read it to you. It's by Susanna Wolf, and it's entitled, Gifts from My Toddler. A hand-picked flower, crushed and sweaty. A deeply insulting drawing of me that I can never throw away. (laughs) A tender little kiss directly on my eyeball at 5.30 (laughs) a.m. Two dark bags under my eyes that she poked while saying (laughs) boo-boo. A crack in my phone screen. A crack in my iPad screen. A crack in my coffee table. A cracker in my pillowcase. Tendinitis. A now rancid splash of milk somehow distributed evenly inside all of the seatbelt buckle crevices in my car. My keys dunked in the potty. The credit card that I'd already canceled because I thought I lost it, but really it was just a toy frying pan underneath a plastic slice of pie. The complete contents of my bedside table scattered across the living room, bathroom, and kitchen. And a partially chewed bite of a $7 muffin sneezed directly into my mouth. Incalculable, all-consuming, primordial love. We are a lectionary church around here, which means that uh, we take very seriously that we are handed a schedule of passages. And, and I uh, have chosen to, to preach from a, a particular group of those passages, and so we are working through the book of Revelation. What a perfect day. Not only is it Mother's Day, but it's also Kids Sunday, and so I'm happy today to talk with you about the four horsemen of the apocalypse. Amen. 
Now, if you are visiting with us today, I, I, I hope you'll stay. I think, I think we're going to be okay. I, I want to remind us that the, the book of Revelation here is perhaps not what you have seen out there, movies, books, that kind of thing. We think, we think it is a long love letter, a long love letter uh, dictated to this John by the resurrected Christ who, were, who was saying something like this, the church and churches like ours need to live in the light of the resurrection. We need to live as if love has won. And if and when we don't, there are consequences. We don't believe around here that the book of Revelation is simply predicting something in the future. It's not something that will happen sometime. It's more about the things that happen all the time. In other words, in other words, when we worship well and we participate in the love that has won, everybody does better. <laughs> But when we or anybody else, but especially the church, when the church worships something or someone other than the Christ, the always being slaughtered lamb who wins via love, the resurrected Christ, when you or I or anybody else worships anything or anyone other than that resurrected Christ, everything breaks down. There are consequences. There are ramifications. There are repercussions. And today you need to understand this. Those ramifications and those repercussions for having chosen something or someone else as Lord of our lives, those ramifications are called wrath, even judgment. And so you have these four horsemen of the apocalypse, and hide your eyes. I have a picture of them today, and here they are. <laughs> now, you football fans out there will recognize these as Four players that played for Newt Rockney all the way back in the 20. What I'm saying to you in showing you this picture and not showing you the other, I mean, because if you were to Google search the four horsemen of the apocalypse, it is ugly, which is the way we say something's really ugly, right? I don't, I don't think it is worth trying to frighten everybody with this. What I want to say is, no, these, these are the everyday repercussions for choosing someone or something other than Jesus as Lord. I don't, I don't think it has to be somehow graphically uh, terrifying to get the point across. These are the four horsemen. There are four horsemen who are mentioned in Revelation 6, and we have to kind of walk through Revelation 6 to get to Revelation 7 so that that can make some sense. But I want you to hear me say again before we move on, in big and small ways, the wrath of God, let's say, is revealed, not because God is somehow out there as the ultimate traffic cop, cannot wait to punish you, punish me, punish us when we do something wrong. That's, that's not what wrath and judgment means, specifically not in the book of Revelation. Wrath and judgment is what happens when you worship money and not the God who wins in love. When you idolize power and not the resurrected Jesus. Listen, you become what you authentically worship. If it's money, then you'll start to take on the characteristics, characteristics of the theology of money above all else. If it's power that you idolize, like in your day-to-day -day decisions and your conversations, if it's power that you idolize, slowly but surely you will take on the characteristics of somebody who idolizes power. 
and your life will be damaged. And that's how the book of Revelation understands wrath. I, I found somebody who said it like this. He said, assigning worship to Christ dethrones the everyday rule of violence. Whatever wrath comes from God in this world turned upside down by the cross is the wrath of the Lamb. It is the identity of the Lamb that reveals the nature of God's wrath. Hear this again. It is the identity of the Lamb that reveals the nature of God's wrath and not vice versa. It's not that there isn't wrath. It's that perhaps it's not what we think it is. It is, again, the ramifications for choosing someone other than the God we see in Christ as your Lord. Now, you can go to church. You can know the songs. You can even know when to raise your hand during the songs. But in your day-to-day life, in your moment-to-moment decisions and your posture, you can choose someone other than the always slain lamb as your Lord, and we can tell. There are ramifications. There are repercussions. Dropping back to Revelation chapter 5, just so we know kind of where we're starting here. They thought they were getting the Lion of Judah. What they got was God in the form of the always being slaughtered lamb. And the book of Revelation says specifically in chapters 4 and 5, and this is the essence of God. And since this is the essence of God, then this is the essence of faith for those of us who would follow this God. Verse 13 in chapter 5, Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all of us in them singing to the one seated on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. And let's keep in mind, please keep in mind, they fell down and worshipped not the lion and the symbolism of power. They fell down and worshipped as the truth, the essence of life, the lamb. The lamb. Now, chapter 6 then. Chapter 6 then is uh, a recitation of the ramifications for choosing something or someone other than this Jesus as the always being slaughtered lamb. And so obviously we're back to our horsemen, right? Now, this is not a prediction of what will happen. This is God saying this is what happens all the time when something or someone other than the the always slain lamb takes center stage in our lives and in the culture. The first horseman has to do with war. There's international conflict. Okay, we've kind of seen that over the years, right? Maybe even some of that today. The second horseman, internal conflict or or civil war. Okay, we've seen that over the years. The third horseman has to do with economic systems. In other words, the the power brokers always use money to separate the haves from the have nots, to put more distance between the haves and the have nots. And Lord knows we have seen that before too. And the last horseman has to do with just the loss of life for all kinds of reasons. In other words, this is what's being said. Choosing the always slain lamb as your Lord results in life. Choosing anything or anyone else other than the always slain lamb as your Lord results in the loss of life. And it goes on to say something like this, and it's not just bad people who suffer. In fact, right out loud, 
The book of Revelation says, when somebody in your orbit, perhaps leadership, when anybody in your orbit chooses someone other than the always slain lamb as Lord, good people, like Christian people, like church folks, suffer. Suffer. Now you're aware that over the years, since the resurrection of Jesus, you're aware that there have been times in human history when people have been persecuted simply for being Christian. You know that, right? And you also know that there are still places today, some places on the planet, where there are people who are persecuted simply for being Christian. It still happens. Let's, let's call that, just for this moment, suffering well. I think if I were to say to you, hey, y'all, Christians suffer, we would all kind of go, oh, yep, we, we know it. But I think it matters why we're suffering. Like, hurting yourself intentionally as if the pain is the point is not the kind of suffering we're talking about. <laughs> what we're talking about is, is this. When you, when I, when we as a church choose to follow the always being slain lamb, when we choose that as our symbol, <laughs> when we choose that as our filter, as our organizing principle, when we choose love that we see demonstrated demonstrated by God on the cross, when we choose love as our orienting principle, we will necessarily come into conflict with those who haven't chosen love as an orienting principle. And sometimes that suffering is massive, and it is fatal. Sometimes it is dreadfully painful, and sometimes it's what we face. Sometimes it's what we face. I'm, I'm telling you, it is still possible in this Christian nation, Christian state, Christian city within this Christian state and nation, it is still possible to so choose love that you come into conflict, even sometimes with religious people. I wasn't looking for an amen there, but it would have helped. Sometimes the loving Christian could come into conflict with the religious person especially if the Christian person chooses love no matter what. And so there are people who suffer in Revelation chapter 6. There are people who suffer. And you can already see there in Revelation chapter 6 that God has a significant soft spot for people who suffer well. And by well, I mean for the right reasons. God is always in the process of coming alongside the people who are suffering well. God says, and I will always come alongside these people who suffer well because, God says, I will always have a people. I will always have a people to put skin and flesh in what it means to be God in the world. And in the Old Testament, we understood that to be Israel. And then the people of God became the person of God in Christ, right? And then we saw it happen again where God would choose a people. It would be the body of Christ. It would always be an opportunity for the body of Christ to embody God, to make God tangible, the people of God. Then, verse 9, we find out that it's not just an ethnic thing. It's not just a, an us righteous few thing. We find out <laughs> that there are people all over the place and throughout time who sing these songs with us, 
who have chosen this same Lord, the always being slaughtered lamb, we find out that this is a worldwide phenomenon. After this, I looked, and there was a great multitude that no one could ever count from every nation, all tribes, peoples, and languages, standing before the throne, before the lamb, robed in white, with palm branches in their hands. And they cried out in a loud voice, saying, salvation could have been called rescue, could have been translated rescue, belongs to our God who is seated on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels stood around the throne and all the elders and the four living creatures, which represents all of the created order, and they fell on their faces before God in the throne and worshiped God singing, amen, and on and on and on. Verse 13, though, it's going to get personal again. You ready? Then one of the elders addressed me, says John, saying, now who are these folks? We've already kind of mentioned them robed in white, and where have they come from? And John said to him, Sir, you are the one that knows. In my mind, he smiles and nods, and he says, Yes, let me tell you about these people. These are they who have come out of the great ordeal, the great persecution. This is where we get the word tribulation, but it's not quite what we have been told it means. These are they who have come out of the great ordeal, They have washed their robes and made them white. This is odd. How do you make anything white in the blood of the lamb? We have a baptistry over here. And we like to baptize folks. In fact, if you have not yet been baptized, I would sure like to baptize you. (laughs) I want to make sure that we understand what we're doing. I want to make sure that when we baptize, that people recognize that when I go ahead and actually take you underneath the water that I am in that moment identifying you with the death of Christ, the very death of Christ, and not just the moment of Christ's death, but I'm baptizing you into everything that that means, right? Christ's love, Christ's suffering love, Christ's woundedness, Christ's stubborn commitment to suffering love. If I lower you into that pool, I want you to understand that what I'm doing is I'm helping you make public proclamation that you intend to live according to the leadership of the Lamb. Which means that you too have chosen suffering love as your operating, organizing system. Friends, this is what it means to have your robe washed white in the blood of the Lamb. This is what it means. To have a pure and undiluted commitment, covenantal commitment to this love that obviously organized and animated Jesus' life. What we are saying as another member of the body of Christ now, in my baptism, I am proclaiming right out loud that I will live like Christ lived. I will love as Christ loves. That's what we're doing in baptism. So while I am ready to baptize each and every one of you, I do want you to know what you're getting into, quite literally. Now, I don't leave you down there. I draw you out, and in drawing you out, I'm identifying you with us who are already parts of a resurrection community. People who have chosen to live in the light of the resurrection, people who have said, we can organize not just my life, but our life together. We can organize it, not according to the ugliness that killed Jesus, but according to the victory won by the cross and by love in the death and the resurrection of Jesus. Sometimes we baptize 
little kids. That seems like a harsh thing to do, having described it like I just described it. But I say this to you all the time. It's not like the oldest among us really get what we're getting into either. It, it takes all of us to remind all of us what it is that we have just committed to. But getting back to kids, who in their right mind would wish this kind of life on a child? What kind of father would wish this kind of life and life posture on a child? Because, John, suffering is suffering. <laughs> Even if it's for what you're calling good reasons, suffering is still suffering. It hurts. It, it can be terrifying. It can be costly beyond our worst nightmares. How in the world would you, John, recommend that anybody get baptized if that's what it means? But hear me say it again. Man, I would like to baptize you. <laughs> I would like to baptize your kids or have Lisa do it. We would like to baptize your kids. How and why? Here's why. It's because not only is this the best way, in fact, perhaps the only way for us to help move God, help to move creation toward God's best plans and best intentions of God, but that same God, when we have washed our robes white, comes closer than any of us could imagine. That same God, when our robes are washed white, comes close in those moments of heartache and pain and suffering. Watch this, verse 15. For this reason, these same folks in these robes now washed white, they are before the throne of God and worship him day and night within his temple, and the one who is seated on the throne will shelter them. They will hunger no more and thirst no more. The sun will not strike them nor any scorching heat. For the lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. Now this lamb has become a shepherd, and he will guide them to springs of the water of life, and God will wipe every tear from their eyes. I'm telling you, God has a soft spot for people who suffer. God has a soft spot for people who suffer because they are following, because they have chosen the same life posture that we see God choose in Christ. And don't you just kind of spot a mother's posture in here too? I mean, God will wipe every tear from their eyes. I have seen moms do, I have experienced moms, moms doing that. I, I have seen it. <laughs> and I really deeply hope that you have experienced moms in that same way, and if you haven't, I'm sorry. Moms can be pretty good where consolation of that kind is concerned. And it's not that dads aren't good at it, but it's not your day, dad, so kind of just chill out for a second, okay? But the moms in my lifetime, I have watched as they have suffered with and suffered for as they have taken the posture of consolation, and sometimes it's all of that at once. Sometimes it's all of it at once. In other words, sometimes moms tell us the truth 
about God. The mom who rushes to the side of her kid who suffers, absolutely. The mom who rushes to the side of her kid, and she is not only heartbroken, but also kind of proud because this child has suffered well for the right reasons. <laughs> Lost for the right reasons. I'm telling you, moms help us to know how it is that God loves and cares for us. Another passage I could have preached from today was 23rd Psalm, not surprisingly. The Lord is my shepherd. In every way that we see the Lord described in this particular passage, I think we could also say, I think I have seen a good mom postured in those same sorts of ways. Helper, host, binder of wounds, encourager, consoler. As it turns out, you don't have to look too hard in Scripture to hear how it is that God's maternal instincts, maternal attributes can be described. In the Old Testament, it's Isaiah 66. As a mother comforts her child, so will I, God, comfort you, and you will be comforted over Jerusalem. But it's also Jesus, right? Jesus in the gospel says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how I have longed to gather you as a hen gathers her chicks. It wasn't too long ago that we talked about that. That we talked about how it is, and this is sort of a mystery of the barnyard. <laughs> but the hen seems at times willing to sacrifice her own life. And at times, we have heard the stories about the fire that ripped through the hen house. And the hens died, but somehow gathered safely under the wings were still living chicks. Y'all, I think there's something of God in that too. telling you, if your eyes are open to it, you can see how it is that God comes alongside those who suffer. Maybe you can even see it in a mom. i tell you somewhere else you can see it. You can see it in the God who understands suffering, takes those symbols of suffering and gathers us each week as people who suffer around the table, where we retell the story of the suffering God, the love of a suffering God who reaches to us and invites us each and every week to remember that God remembers what it's like to suffer. If you're helping us set this table today, please go ahead and come on down to help us. And as they're coming, God, would you bless these elements and with them, with them, God, show us what it means to be loved by the God who comes close to those who suffer. God, bless these elements, simple pieces of bread and sips from a cup, but somehow, somehow, 
in your hands that become something so much more. They become resources. They become resources that move us toward this recognition that you love us like this, but they also move us toward this place where we have the capacity to love like this. We see in the broken body and the shed blood images that are reminiscent of the lamb always being slain. And we take them into our own bodies, God, yes, to remember, but also to be transformed. In a minute, you're all going to be invited. And remember, everyone's invited, but no one's compelled. If you would rather sit this one out, you are welcome to do so. But you are all invited, all of you, all of us, who understand our need for grace, and I am in that number. All of us who understand our need for grace are invited to the table today. If you choose to come down front, what you'll do is you'll come down with your hands cupped, and you'll approach somebody with the plate of bread. Right here be my friend Mike. And with your hands cupped, this is what will happen. Mike will look at you, take a piece of that bread, and press it into your hands, into your open hands, and say, this is the body of Christ broken for you, a God who understands suffering. He's not going to say all of this. He's just going to say body of Christ broken for you. What I'm adding is this God who obviously understands suffering understands you. Take that piece of bread then. Dip it into the cup, the one standing right there. This would be Lynette right here. She'll say as soon as you dip that bread in the cup, and this is the blood of Christ shed for you. Again, we weekly are retelling the story of the suffering of God in love for us. And then take and eat. And if you would, then find a place to pray. It can be right back at your seat. It can be one of these side altars for healing. And we'll have somebody who will meet you there to pray that prayer for healing. It might be at one of these mourner's benches. And we may not know why you're praying. But at some point, somebody, probably me, will touch you on the head or the neck to say, you are not alone. You might want to take a trip here by this little bowl of water. It is meant to help you remember, help me remember the moment of our baptism and all that we signed up for when we got baptized. It may be that you are not yet comfortable to take communion in this way. If you would prefer a prepackaged set of elements, the people who are going to dismiss you by rows have a small plate of the prepackaged elements, and I'm going to go ahead and, and walk us through the, the liturgy right now, so as soon as you get them, you're welcome to take and eat, but I hope you too will continue to pray. And again, if you need to sit this one out, you're welcome to do so. It was on the night he was betrayed that our Savior took bread. He blessed it and he broke it and he gave it to his disciples saying, this is my body broken for you. The God who suffers love understands suffering, rushes to your side. He said, every time you eat of it, including today, remember me. And later on he would take the cup and hold it up before them and say, and this is my blood the blood of a new covenant. And every time you drink of it, including today, including today, remember me. And now all across the sanctuary, if you would, stand to your feet, exit your pew to the left, and come forward with your hands cupped to receive these gifts of God meant for the people of God.
to begin with a brief prayer of confession, and actually I'll do a couple of prayers of intercession today before turning it over to Tamara and then to Lisa. Heavenly Father, we confess that there are times that we avoid the suffering part. We confess, God, that there are times that having been given an opportunity to suffer love, we choose something else. In fact, God, we open our minds and our hearts and our imaginations to you now so that you can help us to remember when it might have been this past week that we chose an operating system, something other than love. time of intercession, church would like for you to pray along with me for folks who are facing cancer and some soon are facing procedures. As I mentioned their names, would you pray for them in your own words and voice? Please remember Diane Dawkins. Scott Peterson. Now as Tamara makes her way, hear this. May the Almighty God have mercy on all of us. And forgive us all our sins through our Lord Jesus Christ. Strengthen us in all goodness. And by the power of the Spirit, keep us in eternal life. Thank you. We've recognized that today is a, a day of suffering for many of us. And I have the honor of leading us in this prayer of consolation. So today, so many of our needs, so many of our expectations have often not been given to us. Today highlights loss for many of us. And this prayer of consolation is for those of you who feel suffering and pain on days like today. So let's find our posture of consolation. If you remember what Jason's been showing us, both feet on the floor, grounded, and our hands in the posture of consolation, palms raised. And with deep breaths, imagine the pain of today in your hands. Imagine all the expectations and the ways that things should be. Imagine your loss and hold it in your hand for just one moment. Sometimes it's easier to build up our walls around us and not feel this pain. 
But I want to remind you that not feeling your pain is also a posture of desolation. The walls that we build up around us do not serve us or serve the mission of God. And now take this pain, lay it down at the feet of Jesus. Imagine yourself physically walking towards the throne and laying it down at his feet. And now imagine Jesus picking it up for you and holding it himself. And with open hands, receive this grace given to you. Remember the ways that God has already graced you on this hard journey. It may be people. It may be gifts given in nature. It may be any small moment where God reached down and met you exactly where you were in exactly how you needed it. Remember these graces. And now we will end our prayer with open hands at the feet of Jesus and we will sit in gratitude. You don't have to have words, but sit in gratitude at the feet of Jesus. Feel his grace. We love you, Jesus, and our hope is in you. Our hope is in your mercy and the graces that you give us on this hard journey. And now, I'll pass it to Pastor Lisa as she leads us in the prayers of our children. Thank you, Tamara. Church family, I have the prayers that our kids prayed over the last month, and I am going to share some of those with you today. Dear Lord, here are our prayers. I pray for my dad as he runs in the marathon today. I hope he is safe and runs well. I'm so thankful that my grandma gets to visit me. We always have a good time. Dear Lord, I pray that all of us kids will do well on our state testing. Jesus, I'm so thankful that my brother is feeling better. Dear Jesus, I'm so thankful that I get to go to New York on May 20th. Jesus, I'm so thankful for my church. Lord, I'm still so sad about my great-grandma dying. I miss her. Jesus, I pray that tonight I can sleep all night in my own bed. Lord, I'm excited about becoming a fourth grader this next school year. Jesus, I'm really looking forward to going on a field trip to the zoo next week. 
Dear God, thank you for helping me to be brave and overcome my shyness so that I could meet some of my family at a reunion. And now I have a new pen pal. Dear Lord, I'm thankful for the season of Easter and the celebration that you rose from the grave and that you are alive. Dear Lord Jesus, I now want to pray for our kids. I thank you, Lord, for the gift of relationship. Relationships that we get to have with you and with each other. I'm so thankful that you know us and love us so completely. Just like a good nurturing parent, you help us to grow and to discover who we are in you. Children deeply loved and created in your image. Lord, I pray that you will give our children ears to hear and eyes to see you in this world around us. Keep their hearts open to all that you want to do in and through them to make a difference in this world. May they become a ray of hope as they share the good news of your love and grace to those they encounter. And now, church family, may we pray the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples to pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.